This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. And also, after you order, get back to me. Let me know how you liked it. Let me know what candle is popping for you. Just tell me about the body butter. I want to hear y'all's experience with the body butter because it's kind of changed my life. It's taken maybe a year or two off my face. Not to say that I was hurting like that, but hey, it got your boy shining out here. You know what I'm saying? So let me know what y'all think. Get back to me. Promo code socks. Show your support for the podcast and for a young black entrepreneur. All right. Grace and peace. PPS cannot say they stand for racial equity when a white woman who has done harm to middle school communities of color has been put in charge so, of creating a framework that will be used to... Point of order. Schools. Just want to hear your commentary, but as a point of order, we don't uh, take testimony on specific individuals and staff. So just please, uh, we want to hear the to be clear, gist of what you're this is not a framework. This is not a framework. It's a compilation of tired, recycled catchphrases and acronyms. Intellectually rigorous, real time, qualitative stakeholder input, using an equity lens, CCSS, SBAC, CARE, PLC, MSIT, PPS, AKA mostly BS. Could it be just me? What up, y'all? Welcome back to the Socks and Sandals podcast. It's your guy, Emmanuel. On this episode, I have Miss Shanice Clark. She is running for a Portland Public School Board seat for Zone 2, which is basically north and northeast Portland schools. Uh, the, the elections are now, if you're listening to this, the, the elections are going on right now. You can vote now all the way up until May 21st, so make sure you go vote. Uh, what you all just heard was like a little sample of a very controversial school board meeting that happened when teachers are just really speaking their mind and speaking their heart um so hopefully Shanice gets there and she overcomes all those issues that the brother was exclaiming right there but uh without further ado let's get to the episode what up everybody want to welcome you all back to the socks and sandals podcast where society culture history and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews it's your guy Emmanuel I'm back I'm not in my kitchen, but I'm in Valerie's kitchen. We are chopping it up. We're whipping it up. And I have the one and only Shanice Clark with me. Shanice, say what's up to the people. Greetings, y'all. Thank you for listening. And thank you for making this happen. I'm glad we're able to do this. We are recording this on May 1st. The ballots just came out here in Portland. I got mine in the mail. So, uh, yeah. So tell the people really quickly who you are, where you're from and your educational background uh, going into this election. Yes, uh, my name is Shanice Brittany Clark. I'm running for the Portland Public School Board Zone 2. 
Uh, I live in Southeast Portland. I'm a Portland educator, and uh, my degree or my educational experience uh, is centered around leadership and education and student affairs, and that's what I got my master's in, but actually have my GED, and that's how I started out my journey, Mm -hmm. Um, and really got propelled into thinking about what it means to look at retention issues and reasons why students Mm -hmm. don't um, succeed or uh, perform at the same levels. Uh, So my work in education now uh, was really centered around black students. I oversee a cultural center that does engagement programs uh, and they center around identity and leadership development. And we work with uh, students who are in elementary school all the way up to college age students, uh, partnering with uh, PPS schools, community organizations, and and just different um, leaders in the community who are invested in um, supporting students of color in ways that they're not getting um, right. with the system that we currently have. Uh, but yeah, I am on the front lines every day with students doing this work, and I'm definitely running because we need some better representation of students and educators who are continuously uh, shut out of processes that impact our, our day-to-day lives. Word. Mm-hmm. Now, for y'all that are listening, like, wait, what is, what is she talking about? I did a bad job of giving the intro. We met because she was at the Black Candidates Forum That's or right. Black Voices United Candidates Forum mm-hmm. that was put on by Nicole Watson. Shout out to Nicole. And um, you are running for Portland Public School Board Zone 2, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. So mm-hmm. it's between you and Michelle DePass. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a third person on the ballot. Oh, there's a third person. Okay. Uh, they did withdraw, um, but um, Michelle mm. and I have been uh, the active, active opponents. <laughs> when did they withdraw? Is that recent? Uh, shortly after the filing deadline. So mm. it was a little bit too late to get formally removed from the ballot. <laughs> okay. She's... <laughs> Was it? Well, it doesn't matter who it was. They seen that competition coming, and they was like, "Nah, nah, that's too much." It's kind of like uh, when I talked to um, uh, why is her name Joanne Hardesty. So, so when she was going to run, mm-hmm. she told me the story about her meeting with the incumbent that was, you know, there at the time, and she was just like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to run," and like he planned on going for reelection, and then two or three weeks after she had that conversation with him. He announced his retirement. <laughs> it was like he didn't want to compete. So some people just don't want to compete. So that means that says a lot about you and Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so the incumbent for zone two right now is Paul Anthony. And uh-huh. um, we, you know, attempted to reach out and connect and say, you know, our community wants some better representation. I was uh, recruited by community leaders in an organization and, um, shortly as time was coming or as time was approaching to file um we realized that he wasn't intending to to run again so i Mm. think um having community united and um centering the needs that we really want has already made an impact on changing um the types of leadership that we we have access to yeah Mm -hmm. and i noticed like the board is all white so you 
you know, one of you all will be the first black person there. And has it been a long time or? It's been quite some time. Yeah. There's been black board members, uh, but certainly not um, enough. Mm. And absolutely, um, as I think about, you know, my identities being uh, a young educator, being a first generation Jamaican and also um, having a particular experience with the education system. I think we kind of see the same types of folks who are interested in um, advocating for issues that are going on in PPS or um, running for positions like this. So I think we're in a real... Um, we have a real opportunity to right. to have some change in, in what we normally see. So outside of, I mean, there's an obvious difference between you and most of the people on the board. Of course, you're a black woman and you are young. Um, what else is it, is it about you that'll be so much different than the existing folks? Absolutely. So the experience that I have as an educator is definitely going to be uh, something that the board needs. Right so is now. that not a regular thing? They don't have like past or present educators on the board like that? We've got one board member that teaches uh, a class at a u- local university and another one who specializes in special education and has taught in schools for over 30 years. But um, they are not running again. So mm. we're going to be losing a intelligence and strategic uh, support when it comes to creating policy that can support retention and fine-tuning the curriculum needs that the district has so um, as a as a board member I would be having experience with creating educational policy already around black suited success conduct compliance with interpersonal violence and in response to interpersonal violence so I think um, as a candidate, um, we, I am seeing the true need to have the right people at the table who have done this kind of work before, who can help move our issues forward. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about your journey, though. You said from you went from a GED mm-hmm. to masters. Like, what was that like? Oh my gosh, um, I went through a lot when I was younger. We had a lot of uh, just struggles with with alcohol, the prison system, and loss in my family, and it really shook me up. Um, and folks in the school system, guidance counselors, teachers were um, not ready to give me the support I needed and just disinvested in me. So at a certain point, and this is definitely something that I'll name isn't the narrative for everybody, I got lucky that folks eventually uh, were supportive enough to get me where I needed to go, but um, I just started a wanted, wanting to unpack the stuff that was happening, and um, I recognized that getting a degree was more than just a piece of paper, so um, after getting a GED, I really wanted to give myself a second chance. And there, I met educators who were just different in college. Uh, they what, centered- what university did you go to? I went to the University of Northern Colorado. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just met educators who um, brought students who are at the margins to the center and really uh, brought equity in a way that I never saw before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recognized that the things that I held uh, didn't have to prevent me from 
being successful and doing what I wanted to do. Um, and I just really got compelled to doing uh, culturally responsive work and education and um, supporting other folks who might be told that they can't do it. They might be told that they're not good enough, uh, but that's absolutely not the case. It's the system and it's the, um, the lack of resources and support that, that schools have that is doing a disservice to folks. For you to to have your GED, to have to you know go about your education, getting your piece of paper that way, and then go into your master's, and now you're working at PSU, you're an educator. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you do, you're doing so much that that isn't common. I'm sure you're aware of that. So you have a resilience that a lot of folks don't have. Did that come from how you were raised, or was it just a decision that you made at some point in your life where you like, you know what? I'm going to do better because I know there's so much greatness in me. Like, how did you, how did you, when did you make that decision to like walk into your greatness? And then how did you continue to walk and not fall off? I appreciate that. And I want to name that, uh, even doing this campaign now working full time, it's, it's not easy. It's hard. And there are moments where, um, I really have to be intentional and reflect on like, why am I doing this? Um, and remember um, the just the hope that that really rests with um, continuing to invest in educational advocacy. But oh my gosh, what what pushes me or what was that thing? Mm -hmm. I the first thing I think about is just my my family like they did what they could mm -hmm. um, my folks are from jamaica and are working class uh, my mom was really active in the union when i was younger and um actually doing this campaign is when i re re really connecting a lot of dots with how she modeled uh stepping up and saying something when she wasn't being treated right and the value of organizing and being in coalition with other people and um, putting everybody's needs at the table um, with hers and just seeing how organizing works um, when putting pressure with the right strategy and the right um, preparation knowing um, what communities uh, are wanting and what resources we, we have, what power we have. Um, so uh, I definitely had a hard time, but when I continued to think about what was going on, I didn't want to give up on myself. For sure. And uh, I found people who were able to support me finding the access that I needed. Um, getting a GED and then going to college meant... Uh, I had to navigate uh, a lot of weird systems and figure out what it meant to pay for school. And uh, so luckily I met the folks who were able to just get me through that leap. And it takes a village. Um, uh, this campaign right now is about um, how we as people, as black people and as a community can get the power back that we, that we ought to have in the first place. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really inspired by the work that my mom did in her community. And I think when I remember and think about um, how it felt to watch her um, 
just be continuously invested in building coalition and working to um, address systemic oppression and uh, injustice, um, that definitely gives me uh, the juice that I need to continue. That's dope. Salute to Mama Clark. You did a great job. (laughs) So uh, circling back to the topic at hand, zone two. Um, let us know just in general, like what is zone two, what, what neighborhoods, what schools, no, there's a lot, but like what schools and why zone two, why are you running for zone two? Yes. Uh, so out of, out of all the zones that you can run. That's right. So zone two includes, uh, inner Northeast and inner Southeast. It has Jefferson, Cleveland, Benson, King, Sunnyside Environmental, and a number of uh, other community schools, but Zone 2 is a one of seven zones within Portland Public Schools, and regardless of where you are, you're able to vote on any other, on any of the open seats. Uh, but when you run for Portland Public School Board, they do it by uh, where you live. Okay. Uh, so I am stationed in Inner, Sorth- inner Southeast, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely have been noticing uh, schools like Jefferson and Benson with a high number of folks of color and um, the representative leadership that we have just not reflecting um, our people. Mm-hmm. Um, when, so have you, have you grown up? Did you grow up in Portland? I didn't. I was hopping around a little bit between Jamaica and uh, the East Coast and okay. landed in Portland to open, help open this Black Cultural Center at Portland State. So my journey really started here in the midst of uh, my educational uh, training and experience mm-hmm. and um, supporting folks to really think about collective work as they're opening, as they were opening the Cultural Center. So we really were intentional about uh, digging into the archives and looking at history like the Black United Front and um, organizations in the community who have been fighting and advocating for um, all students to be seen. Uh, So uh, my experience is definitely reflective of being a first generation person and Mm -hmm. um having having a little bit of a disrupted uh path but i am anchored in portland and uh, i really love being a part of this community and uh, i see the potential for so much work Uh, so yes so (laughs) was so you got recruited for that Mm -hmm. for that spy psu um I wasn't recruited for this job, oh, uh, but okay. I was recruited for this election. Uh, but I really wanted to work with with black folks. I really Portland. wanted to uh, continue. So you came to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> well, black students are fighting. They're uh, stepping up and making Word. demands to administration and um, really organizing in ways that I, you know, really connected to. Uh, in my own experience as a student, I organized and. Um, I wanted to continue that work because I know uh, that 
we place too much uh, we place too much on students to build themselves up in mm. systems and um, I that's a part of the reason why I'm running too I absolutely think that we need more leadership at the table that will be a little bit more uh, bold and courageous when it comes to making the changes that need to happen mm. uh, but yes uh, I came I came to Portland for black students and that's <laughs> that's why I'm that's, here. That's a noble work. That's a noble <laughs> work. I mean, it's not it's not that many of us here, but for those that are here, we definitely need folks like you on the front line. So that's what's up. So how's how's that been? I mean, the fight coming, you know, come from Jamaica or you know the East Coast, mm-hmm. and you come out here mm-hmm. where it's like extremely white. Um, was it a culture shock for you, or was it you know what I mean? Like, how was that? How was that transition? Portland is definitely um, a space where I've had to to build my own community. It's been uh, I've lived here and experienced uh, firsthand just really racially charged uh, interactions and incidents, and uh, so I know that our community well, Portland has- is progressive. I mean, <laughs> it's. It's friendly to everybody here. The most accepting, the most tolerant out of everyone in in the United States, right? I mean, that's what they say. Yeah, they sure do say that. Um, This this like notion of being progressive in the area is is a really is really interesting. I think it's real performative and. um, It's like symbolic. mm -hmm. Like there's a. I always tell my friends like. Because I grew up in Northeast, right off Alberta, and going like where they what they call the Alberta Arts District now. Mm-hmm. But um, there's more Black Lives Matter signs than there are Black people, <laughs> and it's like I say that as a joke, but like that's really real. Like how many Black families are actually still in my neighborhood? I I can't count them, but I can see a whole lot of signs that say Black Lives Matter. So. No, absolutely. I was hearing someone say, like, yeah, the black people are replaced by Black Lives Matter signs exactly. in some areas. And yep. um, goodness, there there's a lot of harm that's been done and displacement uh, to communities of color. And I think th- those are things that we need to overtly uh, center as we adjust um, how boundaries look for for public schools and how um how we resource and allocate uh, different programs um but oh my goodness we as a community have some work to do to really address some of the um the legacy of exclusion that really exists here in oregon and in portland in particular um black folks i've heard stories of people um, at businesses or at their front doors having having threats, having things show up that are a signal that you're unwanted mm-hmm. and uh, you know, even with my own paired experience, taking the bus or just living in uh, south, southeast Portland um, I, I feel that the, the stench, if you will of, of, of <laughs> Of racism, mm. but we don't talk about it in this community um, yeah. because we're progressive. Yeah, <laughs> we've already solved those problems, apparently, according to them. <laughs> but let's let's get into the issues. So once you are elected, I'm going to go ahead and speak that into the atmosphere. Once you are elected, um, how do you 
how do you plan to address certain things? I, I remember at the forum you talked mm-hmm. about this, and you also posted an article on Facebook. Um, I've been Facebook stalking recently. So, um, nice. <laughs> it was an article referring to, um, I'll just read it systemic obstacles to performance affect students at PPS's high poverty schools the most. Compared to its peers, PPS falls short mostly in African American and Latino Latino student performance. So, how do you? What's your strategy to be able to attack that so that Black and Latino students aren't on the short end of the stick when it comes to you know performance in PPS? Yeah, um, we have some work to do. It's a there's a real disparity and. Um, the about 19% of black students are at reading level at the third grade and 34% I believe for Latino students and uh, thinking about how we when there are budget cuts and we take teachers away or shift programs um, title one schools and schools that have a higher number of diverse communities are always um, identified first or just more often uh, to be moved around or have uh, resources be stripped away. So I think um, addressing that like issue, how do they how do they do it? Have you have you been there? Like for those meetings? Mm-hmm. So when they mm-hmm. take when you like I hear people say this, but I'm like I couldn't imagine sitting there watching or listening to somebody like oh well you know they don't really need art. Like, is that, is it just really that simple? Like, they look at the, the schools in the hood or in whatever area, and they're like, well, yeah, they don't need PE. It's like, is it is it that simple? Uh, it's it's definitely a complex process. Okay. What I definitely see are, are people who have access to time or money or power being uh, more able to influence how things have changed and moved around with the district. So that means... Uh, schools that have more and that can do better um, have louder voices and um, that has been a detriment uh, to schools that just support folks of color but I think uh, when we address this disparity or this gap I would love to have a multi-layered approach and thinking about um, early literacy interventions for for folks through pre-k through the third grade Mm -hmm. Uh, so having access to relief nurseries head start programs longer school days and longer school years those are the things that will absolutely be directly connected to how folks perform um, in the district and also the issue of how we are resourcing schools when we do budget cuts using a racial equity lens is something that I want to be happening. Uh, So right now they are determining allocating staff by class size. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, there isn't really a variable that considers uh, students with special needs, students of color or any other dynamics other than class size. Mm -hmm. So when we allocate staff, I would love to have a more nuanced approach. Um, Where where are the classrooms that need more support, that spend more time uh, with uh, just communities that have different experiences and needs in the learning environment? And uh, 
resource our staff in a way that supports the actual needs and within that class size in addition to the size um, but also um, looking at retention efforts for staff and teachers are interconnected uh, to how rates of folks of color um, are able what are what they're able to look like um, so I want to be able to pr provide strong professional development and support for principals, teachers, and all staff in schools to make sure that um, they have their basic needs met. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that, you know, when students and teachers don't have their basic needs met, that that puts them in a position to really achieve their curricular goals. So um, having that strong retention support, um, having early and early learning initiatives and um, just having a more responsible process when we um, resource and pr make our budget proposals every year. So right now we're, actually last night they had a, uh, basically a community forum to process through how they were deciding to um, make cuts. They have to make a $17 million cut and um, have been thinking through um, what does it mean to continuously disinvest in some of the schools that just don't have the data or access to advocate for themselves and like other, other schools do. So their conversations are starting, but they need folks who have been doing this work and they need mm. folks who can provide solutions and continuous improvement uh, to move that work forward. So, all seven board members vote on the same things, right? It's not mm -hmm. like your vote has more weight That's on right. zone two than, okay. Because, I mean, this has been, I'm from Portland, and this, that, like, when I, see, when I heard you say that, and when I seen the article, I'm like, well, that's been happening since, out, since the 80s, since probably before me, you know? And so this is nothing new. Mm -hmm. Um... So it makes me think, I hate to say this, but like, but can the, can the school board even really, like, can they really affect it? I mean, I know they can't, like, in a, in a positive way, um, because there's only one of you and there's six others that are not like you. Absolutely. For, for, for the most part, like, you know what I mean? Like, just be honest, like, you're, what, 25, 26? Uh, 27. 27. Yeah, so you, you're in your 20s. <laughs> Um, you're, you're at PSU, like you're doing work for black and brown folks. Like that's your life. Mm -hmm. That's not their life. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to see things in a different way, but it's only one of you. Um, outside of what you will do, what can the people do to be able to make sure we get that money that we need and get the resources that we need? Absolutely. And I, before I want to answer your question, I do want to touch on that. I do think um, it'll be, it'll certainly be a fight and it'll certainly be hard work um, being the only black woman and the only one who's deeply connected to, sees everyday realities that of students that we are making decisions for. Mm -hmm. uh, but the board is really working towards uh, making improving their own governance practices and they recognize they need some work and they need some support mm -hmm. so as a 
you know, person who is doing, uh, running for office, I, I recognize the board is acknowledging and noticing some of these things that I'm noticing too. So it's not a conversation I'll have to initiate. And I know, uh, professional development and other steps they're taking are going to be supportive in those times. But I absolutely want to advocate for making a shared set of principles and having high standards for our black students um, and making sure that they, um, we are all in sync with our values and that guides the, the decisions and the practices that we do. But in terms of community support, um, I think I, I've been noticing there are only certain people and communities that know the power of their voice and that might be connected to identity, to money. Mm -hmm. um, but being in community and understanding what other folks are asking for is important. So I know that black educators, for example, have been meeting regularly and organizing, talking about um, wanting more professional development and restorative justice work in schools. And I think organizing with your community is power and I know it is power mm -hmm. um, so there are different ways depending on the issue um, advocating to be on the board agenda or just lining up for public comment I've seen when the board might not prioritize a certain issue for a given community they'll have 20 people just sign up for public comment and have a very succinct because uh, it's only three minutes long mm -hmm. uh, parse out all the things they want to touch on between all those people that are signed up. Wow. So thinking about the tactics and the strategies that are available available to us, I think is a part of the work. Um, and yeah, also, I think there's a, a lot of mystery behind what goes on. I, <laughs> I definitely don't know. Like the first time I even went down to that building was last year because my son goes to Kairos. And so, you know, we had to fight to get, you know, a yes. new lease. And that's, I mean, it's still a, a issue, but like it's, you know, there's been progress, but like I had never went to that, that building and I didn't, I'd never been to one of those hearings. Like, I didn't know that like, that's how you could do stuff. So I think just knowledge is what we need to start with, like for sure. Absolutely. And also we need to be reaching out to communities too. It shouldn't be placed on people to show up to a Tuesday night meeting when people have work, they have kids, they have lives. So I think um, doing efforts where we go to a neighborhood school or we call people on the phone and it's not a robocall, but an actual person um, asking you what your experience is and how you land on a certain thing that is about to change. What are you, how are you going to feel about this? Uh, so making sure the com that communities know um, how to file complaints, how to get their voices heard, and also reaching out to them to make sure we know the pulse of um, how they're gonna be impacted by the decisions we make is, is they're both critically important. Yeah. So there was a, another, another topic that I wanted to get into. Um, it's already been voted on. But, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the board voted una basically, you know, there's only one person that didn't vote against it. And that was about having police officers in schools. Mm -hmm. That's wild to me that because I feel like there's not that 
level of crime or danger when it comes to Portland public schools. I could be wrong. I, I really don't know. But just the fact that almost everyone, six out of seven people voted for that, like, how would you, like, what would you interject in that conversation? Yes. So I'm definitely against SROs and in that conversation, I absolutely would want to communicate having a direct funnel to the criminal justice system in schools is not doesn't help anybody it doesn't help our black and brown students and statistically we know that they're just targeted for things Mm -hmm. um so investing more in the resources that we don't even have enough of people who are part-time as paraprofessionals hopping from school to school with caseloads of more than 300 people mm-hmm. i think um, balancing our holistic approaches to serving students and um, having community-led safety efforts are, are things that we should think about what do you so, think what do you think their logic is though like why do you think unanimously they were like yeah let's put police officers in schools like what was presented to them to sway them or was there any presentation they were just like all right boom it's cut and dry I think that people are under the impression that police officers are the answer when we are dealing with difficult situations with students or students are disruptive or people are showing up and just making the learning environment unsafe. Mm -hmm. So policing can't be the only option. I understand uh, how people would want someone to respond if a sexual assault happened or if there was a crisis going on in schools um, to be able to have some sort of support for people who need who need their safety protected but i have seen a lot of different ways this has looked and um i would love to see more of a community-led effort with people trained in de-escalation as a first step maybe not the only step but what we resource and what we uh, prioritize, people just who know our kids. Um, but yeah, I definitely think people are fearful of what it means to um, have an emergency situation uh, in schools. And that could be anything from uh, somebody showing up with uh, a, a weapon or something dangerous who isn't a part of the community or who is. Uh, but we definitely should have protocols in place to get um, to respond and address emergencies. Uh, but policing, uh, policing our kids for disciplining our folks with with police is absolutely not the answer. And uh, I think bringing that message and bringing students in and bringing educators in to talk about what their needs actually are uh, to inform how safety, what our, what our vision is for, for creating a safe space in schools. So that didn't happen. Folks didn't talk to, folks didn't talk to PPS communities before making those decisions. So I would absolutely um, advocate for what the people are asking for and what the people are saying to be what we do. So how does that work though? So when, like, is it already happening? Are there police officers in schools right now? Or is it just it's still something that's like a work in progress just because they voted? It doesn't mean that it's 
active? They they have an active contract uh, with the city. So right now, I believe the city is trying to determine whether or not they're going to renew it. But that would actually be worse because police would just be assigned to uh, a certain school and there wouldn't be this container to talk about um, what the actual needs of the communities are and, and build relationships with um, individual schools and the officers connected to them. Uh, so there has been policing uh, in schools before and you know back when it initially started there were a lot of you know people of color pacific islander black officers who mm. you know see students in school and then see them at fred meyer uh three hours later mm-hmm. and there was a different kind of relationship that existed but um things changed and transitioned and there was a lot more uh people who are disconnected to the everyday experiences of students being um, patrolling patrolling Mm. the the schools that we have uh, in Portland. So, um, yeah, I would love to add some layers to the conversation that board members are having and provide um, different options because that's not the only thing. We can look, we can expand um, our school of thought to look at other districts and schools that explore more of a community-led effort. When that stuff is voted through, it's not for every school, right? Like, it would be delegated to quote-unquote schools of need, correct? Which means that Lake Oswego, they may not have police officers at their high school, but Benson or Jefferson, oh, well, you know, I think that's an area of need, so let's put them there. Like, is is that how it works? They just they put the officers in the schools where there's the most whatever type of activity, the most suspensions, or like how does how does it work? How do they delegate? Who's gonna go where? Um, absolutely, that is how they determine how, how they allocate an officer to a particular school just mm-hmm. by looking at conversations with district leadership about what the climate of the school might be and that could be a a layered conversation right Mm, Um, mm, as mm. i think and and people who are a part of the pps system um as it relates to seeing how how officers are treating students um they have recognized that um having more, more training for teachers to identify um when students just actually need a resource or a conversation to uh, let them have a moment in an office and calm down and really uh, be able to get out what is going on for them, um, that there are other approaches that they can take than just utilizing a discipline, uh, the discipline process or utilizing police response that we can respond to our youth with the needs that they're showing up with um in in other ways and i think a part of that is addressing some of the bias that folks have and um really providing uh culturally responsive training for our staff do schools because i mean i graduated in 2003 at benson there were plenty of school counselors. I mean, there was a lot of students, though. There was, like, nearly probably 2,000 students easily. Um, or maybe I mean, at least 1,600 to 2,000. 
but there was like five or six counselors. Mm-hmm. Are there still a big presence of counselors in schools? And is that like an alternative, having more counselors instead of police officers? Like, is that something that can be done or would that be something that would not be even considered because it's because they cost more than a police officer? Um, I think that's absolutely something we need to explore. Right now, there are, I just did the math the other day, I think about 250 students per counselor. That's a lot. Yeah. And they will allocate them based off of school size. Mm-hmm. So we'll see some high schools with uh, a number of different counselors. I've also heard, like, for example, at Cesar Chavez that certain um, socio-emotional support staff actually are hopping to different schools so they're not actually there the entire day. So there mm. is a, I think, waves in how structured and steady support actually looks for students. But resourcing that and having a multi-layered approach is absolutely an alternative to uh, looking at policing. So... A part of wraparound services can include um, just access to housing assistance, food assistance, after school programs, and different types of uh, things that are connected to the basic needs of families. And mm-hmm. um, we will we will absolutely see a decrease, and we have um, when we have explored and, and invested in those type types of efforts. Uh, so convincing or talking about what the true value of um, doing the work of serving students in ways that address the different types of struggles and uh, experiences that prevent their learning from happening in classrooms is something that I would want to be doing with other board members and uh, not absolutely not uh, voting for for police well so tell me about like like you were saying wraparound services tell me about the other issues and the other ideas that you have and things that you would want to highlight once you're on the board absolutely so right now reynolds is exploring a case management or block style system so i think having a space that before people are experiencing a struggle or before they show up with an issue, um, just having somebody to check in on how they're doing in school, how they're doing at home, and um, what things are going on in their lives, and having a system in place where we can recognize early signs and symptoms of issues or um different things that have come up for students. So absolutely would want to implement something that that models that in a block style system is something that I've actually been hearing from parents, uh, but models something that I care about too. having uh, just subjects happening at the same time. So math classes happen at the same time. English happens at the same time. And for folks who need a different type of instructional um, intervention, support, a higher level, a lower level, that there's an opportunity to um, not be bussed around and access in their same school the type of classroom experience that is directly connected to their needs. Uh, So those are things that we can do to absolutely think about 
um, catching some of the students that are performing um, or just not being served in the classrooms in the way that they need to be. But uh, retention support is something I care about too. So onboarding uh, for staff, look, thinking about training, thinking about resource groups that help them build curriculum and give them professional development, and also making sure that their rights are protected. And I mean family leave, medical leave, and um, some of those access to, some of that access to basic support that not all folks are getting. Um, but teachers experience high burnout and they've been asking uh, for training and more and, and more paraprofessionals and more socio-emotional support staff. So it's all interconnected, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot there's a lot of things to address in, in Portland Public Schools. Um, it just see my my, my thought about politics um, I've always felt like once you're in that seat, you have a voice, but you potentially lose your impact. And the reason why I say that is like, because you're on that side, and I'm not trying to sway you from, I'm just, this is my limited knowledge on politics mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. what I've seen on my 34 years on this, on this earth is that once you're in that seat, like you're on their side like you're one of them like the people that you've been running towards and like hey y'all need and the people we've been observing and then when you become one of them it's just like yeah man uh it's, it's tough it's kind of tough guys I'm, I'm doing my best but you know and then everybody's like yeah man you over there so it's just like can you like as a board member would you be able to organize people like would you be able to still mobilize and like all the tips that you're kind of giving out the free game that you're giving right now Mm -hmm. can you be instrumental in that as being on the board or like once you're on the board you can't you can't play a a hand in encouraging people to like hey you guys need to do this you set up your your 20 get your 20 people three minutes like would you be able to do that or would that be going against some type of board bylaws or something like that Absolutely not. We actually need more public oversight, and that's traditionally what we see with boards, but Mm -hmm. not this one. Okay. Um, So being accountable to my constituents, the main stakeholders, students, community members, educators, uh, families, Mm -hmm. that's something that I absolutely would be doing as a board member. And when we see how folks, you know, say, make promises, right, during their campaigns and are elected to office and and things don't happen and, and things look different. Uh, that's something I'm tired of for sure. For sure. And uh, being in that space, a part of what I really want to do is uh, build strong working relationships with the staff and PPS and have less backdoor conversations. We shouldn't be having those. Mm-hmm. We should be discussing issues on the table um, at our board meetings and not coming in uh, unified to vote right on the on an issue uh, based off of previous prepared conversations uh, so organizing communities and being accountable to them is something that I will commit to and uh, I do some organizing now with Opal environmental justice and I think 
a part of what I can offer as a board member is having investment in reaching out to people. So kitchen table talks, phone banking, uh, those are different things that I'm thinking about uh, doing as a board member because I recognize there is a need to keep people updated on what what's happening and there actually really isn't it's not very accessible no, even folks who need need something emergent like getting an IEP status for their student who is obviously um, needing specialized instruction um, but not being able to access um, that service for three years because of a lack of navigating the system. Break that down for us. It's not in the system. So what's IEP exactly? Yes. So it's basically uh, an indicator of a student who's in the special education program. They okay. they need different type of, cl- of classroom instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an IEP status is a gives a teacher an indicator that they need to be modifying their curriculum and they need to be mindful of uh, the different um, just learning needs that, that have are showing up for a particular student. So I talked to uh, someone on the doors as I was door knocking and they're kind of saying, yeah, I've been trying to get the right type of uh, classroom support for my, my son for three years. And it took me that long to understand the process and applying and getting testing and um, following all the steps to lead to um, getting them in the right classroom. But um, it shouldn't be like that. It should Board members should be actively getting out in the community and understanding issues that people are navigating and have that inform how they, they move about in the world and especially um, at the board table. For sure. Now tell me about the process of going through this campaign. How many months has it Ooh. been for you that you've been on the campaign trail? Uh, since January, so okay. ooh, we're going on month five going right now. Going strong. So tell me what what that what has that been like? I mean, I've seen you doing house parties. You know, you knocking door to door. I see you hustling outside and got you know people's cars you know tagged up and whatnot. Not tagged up, but you know you got your your uh, your brochures on people's car. Like, what's that been like? How much of a grind has that been? It it's been a long journey. Um, we started out this process by holding listening sessions, visiting uh, spaces like the Talented and Gifted Advisory Council made up of parents, uh, dyslexia advisory group, and also meeting with different um, people who are actively working on issues in PPS. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the process really just started by um, getting a better sense of how issues are interconnected and um, how priorities um, need to be centered for the actual communities that uh, exist here in Portland. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what have we been doing? Fundraising is a big part. We've also been knocking on doors. Um, At this point, we've hit about 10,000 doors, which is really... It's wild. Um, We've been putting in work at this point. We're knocking on doors every day. Mm. Um, Every moment that is free is time is money. Mm -hmm. It's been a real grassroots campaign. So 
people are getting their hands in where they can, donating dresses or services or just getting on the doors and door knocking. What um, does a dress donation do for you? How does that, how does yeah, that help out? I mean... Just for absolutely opportunities to take photos and like, hey, I need a new dress. Yeah, I mean, I made a call out to some people in my community at one point. Uh, I... I need I need clothes, you know, being a running a campaign, we there is expectations that I want to also disrupt, but at the same time, um I need I need some formal clothes. Mm. And as a working educator, um there isn't a lot of access to go go and buy um go buy outfits, right? So mm. that's only a small part. Mm. Uh, but it's important though that's important <laughs> yeah absolutely and and what people have uh anything that they can offer um is of value um and we are continuously told if you don't if you're not close in proximity to power or wealth then that means your voice is smaller or that politics doesn't is not for you mm. um but there is more than one pathway to to victory, there's more than one pathway to having having the right kind of leadership that we need. So that's definitely a message I've been trying to relay to folks who are supporting. And yeah, it's I'm really feeling without that I couldn't be here. Yeah. Um, I am so grateful for the people who have been putting in their time like I'm sitting in my campaign manager's house right now uh, doing this podcast so people offer what they can yeah that's <laughs> awesome I'm, now I'm really curious about the the house parties because mm -hmm. um I remember when Joanne she was telling me about that like that was a big part yep. of her campaign mm -hmm. and she did hundreds of house yes. parties yeah like how has that process been and what have you learned the most from that oh my gosh i've been learning a lot honestly from house parties lots of different people who are concerned are showing up and and sharing how they've been shut out ignored and what things they've noticed um in the district but absolutely we've been having like two or three house parties a week you know and it's been really busy yeah. uh but it's given me an opportunity to communicate um the work that is happening right now the work that we can do uh, if we work together and um also getting that support that i need to get in the office so that means uh getting that donation getting that uh volunteer to sign up for canvassing uh, but absolutely, it's a, like a old school meets new school way of getting to know your, your school board candidate. I share what I'm about, what I want to see. Folks ask questions and it's uh, really uh, been mostly down to earth spaces with uh, a person who invites their 10 friends or family members uh, who who want to see some different things with PBS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And raising money that's absolutely right word, yes. word. That's, what's up. that's what's up now when someone like how do you organize that do you have to put it out there and like hey i'm trying to come through or like someone already like you have on your website or they reach out hey i wanted to bring you to my house like how does that transaction go down 
absolutely. So in different spaces, like at my launch party, I ask folks like who's who's willing to invite people, uh, five friends, who knows five people uh, to to invite over their house and to talk about um, why this election is so important and um, elevate some issues that you've been experiencing. But doing that work with just engaging with people that we're seeing and also, um, oh my gosh, who has been supporting? There's been people um, who I work with, people who I'm friends with, uh, people who are in my class right now. I'm in a, an Emerge Oregon class, which is a candidate training for for women who are trying to reclaim their time, essentially, mm. in a short sentence. Mm. Um, and Is that a virtual class by Maxine Waters, or how, is that, how does that go? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish it was a virtual class by Maxine. Uh, but um, there's absolutely been a wave of folks uh, who are noticing what how powerful their voice really is after 2016 right mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. yes um but setting all of that up is something i i have support with and i'm grateful for and it gives me time to just show up and uh talk about uh, why i'm running ask people what they they need mm-hmm. and uh spend spend my time preparing to talk to voters and like i said i've been knocking on doors and every day when i have the moment i am i'm out knocking but yes when people aren't around uh aren't home or and it's getting close to the wire as it's may 21st it's coming up in a few weeks mm-hmm. uh where we're also dropping literature so we're, regardless if uh somebody is home we we definitely are leaving something behind to to show them that yeah we visited and, and we care about the things that are going on right. now you seem to be very ambitious very driven um that's very evident so if you weren't running for this seat, mm-hmm. for zone two what would you be pursuing at this point in time yeah um so i get that question sometimes and i've dedicated my life to doing this work so yeah. in a lot of ways i am still working and thinking about PPS issues and my own advocacy in work and outside of work. Um, But my own personal, I guess, where I saw my life going before running this election was thinking about going back to school and getting a a PhD in educational leadership and administration. And I absolutely always dreamed of what it would be like to be one of the only ones at the table who make such important decisions uh, that continuously disregard Mm. um, black students and folks who are just um, marginalized in different ways. Uh, So I absolutely want to shape policy and structure school systems to adequately support teachers and educators um, to do the work that that everybody deserves and that means serving their needs uh, as as human beings and um, also looking at the systems in place that need to be shifted or um, disrupted so yeah I, I my dream is doing doing policy work and education and um, I think part of 
my work in this community now um, has really triggered me thinking about what it means to merge the worlds of politics and education. Um, and our voices are just not at the table. Mm. Uh, we see the same representative leadership of people who don't actually know uh, the day-to-day realities of, of students and educators. So yeah, it makes so much sense for me to do this work and it's healing for me um, as I think about what it means to just be the person who I didn't get to have in high school. Word, that's dope. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think about like me and, and doing this podcast and, and uh, like people are like, why, like, why do you do it? And why does your, why does your wife let you just go and just do all this? I was like, well, for one, like I would, I would be doing this more. Like, I would just go out to coffee shops and have three, four, five hour conversations. It's just about all types of stuff with people. And so like, this is just a natural mm-hmm. outflow of what I already mm-hmm. have been doing for years. But now I just like done it in a more organized way. <laughs> so it just sounds like you're going to be doing this regardless, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, a, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be here. Yeah. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not going nowhere regardless. <laughs> that's, that's what's up. That's always good to know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and roll into the Fab Five. These are five questions that I ask everybody Okay. For every podcast. <laughs> um, and I actually am going to introduce one new question, question oh. number four. So you'll be the first one to answer this new question. But first question um, comes with a prereq. What is your favorite genre of music? Oh, my gosh. That's so hard. Mm. I have an eclectic taste in music so like in my phone there's reggae there's funk there's even metal uh there's uh afro beats Mm. um indie music so choosing a genre i think it really would it's it's situated with where i'm at Mm. uh with how my wellness looks how i'm taking care of myself and i (laughs) I match the genre to that. So right now, I'll I'll say Afrobeats are my are my favorite genre. So what artist or album made you fall in love with with Afrobeats? Woo, um, what artist? Um, Wizkid is definitely a cool artist. Um, but I definitely i don't know picking is so hard <laughs> afrobeats is, people that say afrobeats is like yeah it's kind of tough because it has, it's not like it's been that popular about, you know for a, a long time but yeah it is kind of hard to nail it down to one yeah oh my gosh but, but De- was the first is also team. a cool artist so. okay okay i hear Wizkid a lot though mm-hmm. i need to get on him so the only time well the first time i heard of Wizkid was from drake he okay. did uh, yep. I forgot yep. what song he was on. You remember what song he was on? Oh, uh, I forget. Yeah, Drake. He's been putting on different types of artists yeah. internationally in his For latest real. work, which yeah. I appreciate. So there's like some British black rappers on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been really appreciating that. Word. Yeah, I'll have to look up what Wiz Kid's song that is. For sure. <laughs> um, question number two: Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? Um, I really like this movie called Born in Flames. Mm, never heard of it. Okay, uh, tell me more. It's produced by a black queer woman, Lizzie Borden, and is really 
uh, it provided me some language when I was processing what it means for what black queer women's labor um, looks like when mm. when we organize or when we're doing movement work. Um, there there's a lot of messages in that movie that I've sat with and today she did interviews with her family and community members and friends whoops dropped the pen it's all good uh but that particular movie I was writing this article at the time uh talking about how Afrofuturism is uh is a school of thought or theory we can use to decolonize uh how we serve black students and how we serve all students. Uh, and uh, yeah, it really, it, it hit, it hit several things, but that is a great movie. And I'm also a big nerd. Uh, so I love comics and superheroes and um, Black Panther um, is kind of the ripple effect of what that meant uh, for people to be excited about uh, something dope in the black mm -hmm. community. It didn't have to center about pain or struggle, but it talked about the richness mm -hmm. of our culture and how our own tools and our own ancestral uh, practices are are better than what we have now, mm -hmm. right? So that, that meant a lot, I think, in a societal way. Um, but yeah, I could talk a lot about, I could talk a lot about movies, but Black Panther, it did some things for, for me as a nerd and for me as a, uh, <laughs> I guess a comic nerd and an academic nerd. Mm. <laughs> what is the definition of a nerd? I feel like that has changed <laughs> over time. Like how right. do you, how do you self-identify? Like what is the qualification? What's the qualifications? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm always a fan of people being able to identify who they are for themselves. Um, but for me, I guess I really identify with that word because that immersing myself in uh, academic scholarship and immersing myself in uh, thinking about different realities that can be manipulated to feel better or be better um mm. those things really give me juice um mm. so i might be a nerd then cause yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean that's what i'm asking I'm we, like man maybe i'm a nerd too and being a nerd is coming back you know it's mm. uh <laughs> there used to be a stigma about that word and um, yeah, it used to be bad right yeah. right and uh yeah i feel really you know, now I can experience the comeback, if you will, of being a nerd and uh, embracing that openly and, and that being fine. <laughs> the resurgence, the revenge of the nerds. Yes, yes. I mean, nerd, I guess nerds run the world now because everything is all computer based and they're the ones that started all that. So, yes, yes. I guess right. we, we are the ones. That, <laughs> I'm, I'll go ahead and self identify as a nerd as well. Uh, Question number three, when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Ooh, well, I'm big on doing like my own mindfulness mm -hmm. practices. So depending on like if I'm in a car or if I'm at home or just after a really bad meeting or something, um, it'll be different. 
practices like looking, checking in on my five senses. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling? Um, or thinking about what I'm noticing in a space. Those things really help me center when I'm feeling overwhelmed and or uh, just different little tools uh, to help me stay in the present. But um, I'm a big homebody. I like to listen to music, uh, watch movies, and uh, at home, uh, I like I read. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are those are things that I'll actively do. Just if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, trying to recenter myself, and also doing the things that give me life. So that's reading. Um, that's picking up a comic book or watching watching a TV show that's related to a black comic book, uh, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, um, I'll, I'll say those are some quick things that I like to do. Awesome. Question number four, the new question. If you woke up tomorrow and won the lottery for $100 million, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Wow. Um, I would definitely be interested in addressing some of my debt from college. Mm. (laughs) So that would be something I want to address. So now you have uh, 50 million left. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But, oh my goodness. I never, I don't think people should, like, having that amount of wealth is, like, for me, I'm just naming, like, it's, like, imagining what to do with that doesn't even feel natural. Mm. I want to, you know, take what I need to survive, to get by, and also think about um, what needs are present in my own family and my community. And uh, I'm a big, I would love to donate more. As, a, as an educator, <laughs> there, there isn't a lot of extra scrap to uh, give in ways that I want to. So um, running this election has made me realize what it really means to put money into grassroots movements, into people who are doing real work uh, that need, need a lift. Uh, so I donate to Black Lives Matter and, and other organizations, but... To really be able to make an impact um, with that kind of money would be would make me feel good. When you give, you actually feel good. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I would take care of that student debt and lift my people up. Because that will literally, uh, my mental health will just skyrocket into levels that I could never uh, fathom. Word. <laughs> and and your time spent, like, how would you? Would you still teach? Would you still work or? Oh, I'm a person who has to work. Okay. I'd have to be doing something. And even after, even imagining what retirement, if that's a reality, um, could look like, I would want to volunteer, do a thing. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I would still be working. I would still be interested in supporting students, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, There is, I think, a lot of, a lot of people get involved who have direct stakes. Maybe they're teaching. Maybe they have kids in schools. But the public isn't really generally 
investing um, in the success of schools and um, when I see other elders and people I really respect organize young folks or just volunteer in certain spaces that um, are underfunded that are doing the real work um, that's absolutely what I want to would want to dedicate to if I had the wealth and I had the money I would want to uh, use my time in ways that um, that address some of these things that that I sit with at the end of the night and keep me up at night. Mm. That's dope. Last question: What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Oh my gosh, that's the last question. Mm. <laughs> I want people to know that. I'm a fighter and I would want also to bring some awareness to um, how mental health and other identities impact uh, impact life as as a black person uh, so right now it's really hard to have conversations in the black community about mental health uh, about money, um, about violence, and um, those are things that I would want to, um, I would want to leave a legacy behind that works to address um, healing, healing, mm -hmm. the ancestral healing and personal healing that um, I'm committed to working towards for myself and other people um, who who are who are just disproportionately impacted by some of this systemic oppression uh, but yeah my, my eulogy i would want to communicate a message that builds awareness uh to the things that black people are living through and dealing with and absolutely talk about what it means my story is really interesting because i have a freaking master's degree after dropping out and people mm. like look at that's me amazing. and we're like that's, amazing. Th that's not happening or you right. can't do this i've literally had people tell me through this election or through whatever part of life tell me that i didn't have what it takes mm. um so i absolutely want to bring uh, power to other people, young people who are told that their voices don't matter or educators told that their needs don't matter. I want to leave behind a legacy that brings, bring, builds a conversation about how there's work to be done and these people um, who are on the front lines are way more valuable um, than than how society communicates. Mm. But yeah, that's 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 what I'd say. What that's a question. Awesome. Oh even, my gosh. Yeah, it, it, it gets people every time. <laughs> <laughs> but even in your passing, like you're inspiring and you hope to aspire and, or inspire. And that's, that's amazing. So that's great. Admirable. And uh, I'm glad we were able to sit down and do this. I'm glad I was able to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm going to put this out very soon, so hopefully people hear this and get inspired to vote. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to chat. Um, no I think it's so critical that people understand um, the power 
that they hold, uh, voting, I think. And I've been thinking about this as I'm doing a grassroots campaign with black folks, with people of color and their relationship to government or their relationship to, to voting. It's mm. definitely a message that we, like it's not useful, right? That mm. things aren't going to change with just one vote. But I think that is a message that has been put on us, but we have some power, we, we can do. flip. We can flip realities uh, just by participating, even that, if it's just that, a little Like you much. said, that message is put on us, mm-hmm. and they and and we absorb it. But we shouldn't. We should not have absorbed that message. Like what you say is true, and and this one thing that I'm realizing, uh, I'm so thankful for for Nicole and Nikki just having me sit mm-hmm. on and, and record these. I'm hearing people I'm like, yo, there are a lot of people that put in a lot of effort for every single election, like. Mm-hmm. In the hood, like, oh, yo, yo, vote don't mean nothing. Nah, it means something. Like, they tell us it don't mean nothing, but they just want us to not vote. <laughs> but true. they voting and they putting money towards all, the, like, everybody's investing in their community and investing in these leaders so that their issues get taken care of. And so we have to realize, yo, local voting, it, it directly mm-hmm. impacts us. Maybe, you know, the president may not necessarily trickle down to what we got going on day to day. But in our county, like, we need to be voting for every election. Absolutely. Um, There's been so many times where people have won seats by 50, 100 votes. Mm -hmm. Like, that small fraction, um, even regardless of how many numbers or how many black people exist, like, Mm -hmm. our participation could literally change. it could change our realities and yeah local elections that's how white wealthy folks begin to build power because nobody really pays attention to local votes Mm -hmm. or local elections uh so yeah knowing knowing the power of your own voice when you're told it's not powerful is is a whole battle but um i absolutely am that's why i'm trying to knock on these doors and tell people um yeah, we have an opportunity to see something different. <laughs> yeah. And when you were talking about healing, mm-hmm. um, I'm reading through, I'm, I'm actually at chapter six, the last chapter, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome mm-hmm. by Dr. Joy DeGray. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. Or have you probably, you probably see her on campus, huh? Ah, uh, she's not at PSU anymore. Oh, she's I not there? Wish. Okay, okay, I wish. okay. Man. <laughs> but it's like, but you, but you read the book. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I mean that. I've been, I've been waiting for this chapter because I've been going just week by week with, with my buddy and uh, I'm just, you know, we're trying to stay on pace with each other. So when we talk about it, you know, no one's ahead of the other, but I'm like, all right, bro, we finally made it. We're on chapter six. Like, let's get into it. And it's because you read that book and it's five chapters of just like, all right, I'm depressed. Like, I don't want to continue. Like, I couldn't even read. Like, no, I could just sit and just finish. No, I couldn't. Like, chapter three, I had to stop so many times because it was just killing me Mm -hmm. i'm like when are we gonna get to the good part where's the light at the end of the tunnel but like healing is so necessary Mm -hmm. especially for black and brown communities all throughout america all throughout the world but like in america is it's crazy and so just the fact that you are aware of that and you're working to change that that encourages me for sure yes you know that intergenerational trauma Mm -hmm. is so real and not uh, something that I have thought about really until 
you know, the last couple of years and my own family and the things that the way that they showed up for me, they they love me so hard, but they were also hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thinking about my own experience as a black person and what my family is still sitting with and how I carry that. Those are all things that, um, you know, absolutely fuel the way that I move through through spaces. So, yeah, healing, it's, it's a journey, but um, we have been ignored at the same time, uh, have been just harmed. Mm-hmm. So we, we got to talk, talk about that. Targeted, <laughs> brutalized, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a lighter note, <laughs> yes, Shanice is about to take this seat. Let's get it. Y'all go vote. If you're in Multnomah County, vote for Shanice Clark. Zone 2, any last words for the people before we go? Absolutely. Um, I am running because I know when people on the front lines are represented in leadership that we have an opportunity to truly uh, change the realities and experiences that people have and have a promising educational experience regardless of your zip code or your background. And I think when we have uh, a focus to center people who are accountable to communities and who are experienced in the work that needs to be happening as a board as a board member, um, we will only uh, uplift the needs that we need for stability in the district, empower students, and unite staff in a way that brings us closer uh, to closing the gap. My name is Emmanuel Williams with the Socks and Sandals podcast, and I approve this message. Appreciate y'all for listening. It's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holler at y'all next week. Grace and peace.